Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you turn in that Bible to our final sermon in a series of four called the Songs of the Redeemed, it's Psalm 107. I just want to give you a quick rundown about what we've been doing and where, what we're going to do today. There are five books in the Psalms. And Psalm 107 begins the fifth book. Every one of these books has a little different emphasis. But book five is about the people of exile. They're getting ready to head back from the exile. Remember now, they've been in Babylon, and now Persia's taken over Babylon. And through the Persian king, a miracle's going to happen. He's going to pay for their way to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. It's an amazing story here of what's going on. And so they're going to head back from exile. And from that Jerusalem and from that Israel, God is going to use that piece of land as the launch pad for Jesus to go all over the globe. This message of the gospel to go everywhere. It came here. (laughs) Praise God, right? It came all the way to Mississippi. And so that's what we're doing here. Now, 107 is the introductory chapter of this people of exile. And so what he wants is this song to be on their lips that they can remember, we are a formerly exiled people. And we are formerly exiled people because we cried out to God and he answered. So four kinds of people that we've talked about in 107. The lost and the wandering. That was our first sermon. The second was the imprisoned. Third, the rebellious fools, or as we called it, dumb as a rock. And four, those in a storm. So today we finish our four-part series with those going through a storm. And Ms. Shirley's going to read for us Psalm 107, verses 1 to 2 as an introductory. Then she's going to slip to verses 23 to 38. So would you please stand and honor the Word of God as Ms. Shirley reads for us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, They have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad, because they were quiet. So he guided them in their distress, in their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, and for his wonders, that the sons of, and his wonders to the sons of men. Let them exalt, extol him also in the congregation of the people. And praise him at the seat of the elders. He changes rivers into a wilderness 
and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into a into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. He also, he blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. Fire heads. Dear Lord God, we just want to say thank you, Lord God, for being such an awesome God. We thank you and praise you right now for your goodness and your mercy unto us, oh Lord God. We thank you that today your word goes forward with clarity, oh Lord God, that it touches the hearts of the people, oh Lord God, and that lives are changed. We thank you for Pastor Matt and for clarity of speech and thought, Lord God. And we thank you for hearts that receive your word with gladness, Lord God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Shirley. One of the famous stories we have about storm is uh, happened back early in the 1990s. It was the story of the Andrea Gale. Anybody remember the Andrea Gale? Uh, it came out of a book and a movie. Uh, and, uh, my realization of, of this story came out of a book and a movie called The Perfect Storm. Anybody remember The Perfect Storm? Uh, it was a story about how a ship left Massachusetts on September 20 and never came back. In fact, they only found a little bit of debris. I mean, the sea engulfed the Andrea Gale, and everybody on board died, and the ship was engulfed by the sea. Fascinating book, fascinating movie called The Perfect Storm. It was a fishing vessel. They were out there, and as they were out there, the meteorologists, you know how meteorologists do whenever there's a tornado, they just go crazy with excitement. It's like they live for this moment. When a hurricane comes up, whoo, man, we live for this moment. This is what we get paid for. Finally, we get to report on a serious storm. Well, the same thing happened here. I mean, because they could see something beginning to happen that almost never happens. That is three things coming together that's going to create incredible havoc. And the three things were these. Uh, a front was moving from Canada toward New England. The second thing was a high-pressure system building over Canada's east coast and then the dying remnants of Hurricane Grace. And they all converged on this little fishing vessel. And if you remember the movie, they tried to fight it, but they were engulfed finally by the sea. And what it did was it taught us that when the perfect storm happens, it can engulf you. And some of us have been through perfect storms, not just physically, not just with the weather, but in our lives. Now, let me tell you about the sea. The Jews were particularly frightful of the sea. Now, some people worked out on it, and if you work out on it, you sort of get used to it. But do you remember the stories of the sea, particularly in the Old or the New Testament? In the Gospels, these guys go out on the sea. Most of them really don't want to be there, but Jesus said, we're going to the other side. So they were out there, and all of a sudden, a storm comes up, and they begin freaking out. And I promise you, the ones that were freaking out the most would have been the ones that just aren't used to the water. But they're out there going crazy, and I think they view it a little bit like I view it. Remember we talked about the movie not long ago called Jaws? Oh, my goodness. I wouldn't go into any body of water after Jaws. But particularly the body of water, I mean, it didn't matter. The public swimming pool where you can see down, I didn't care. I ain't going into water. 
I was scared of the water after Jaws. But can you imagine? You can't see below about a foot. And then it gets all murky. And if you can't see down there, I definitely ain't going down there. I don't care if they say this is a river. I ain't going down. I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to do it because I can't. Well, that was a Jew. They said, if we can't see what's going on, we don't like it. And all of a sudden now, here comes the storm and they're freaking out. And they say, hey, Jesus, help us. And guess what? The God that created the waters said, peace, be still. And they couldn't believe it. Now, I've got a friend that's a New Testament exegete, which is to say he wants all the right meanings of all the stories. He says, now, what a lot of people will say about that story is, hey, wow, are you going through a storm? Jesus can calm the sea. He says, that's not the point of that story. The point of the story is, oh, my goodness, look. There's a guy that can tell the weather what to do. Why? He made the weather. (laughs) He made the seas. He made the clouds. He made the sky. That's what was the most incredible about that day. Not us, oh, now we're safe. No, who is this guy? He can tell even the clouds, the weather. He can tell the waters what to do, and they obey him. They knew this wasn't any ordinary gentleman in their boat at that moment. The sea, however, was very, very frightful to the typical Jew that didn't work out on it. They feared it. So, one of the best places you can go to to find out about storm in the Old Testament, I mean, it it, it comes up quite a bit, but one of the best places you can go to is the first chapter of Jonah. And I was there this week. We did a little Bible study on the first chapter of Jonah. And there were three factors that created an incredible storm in Jonah's life. The first fact was this. Jonah and his people feared and hated the people called the Assyrians. And Nineveh was their great city. So the first factor in the perfect storm of Jonah, the book, is they hate and they fear the Assyrians. Now you think, well, get over it. Yeah, you all know some people come into your life and they'll just say, hey, get over it. But you can say to them, dude, it ain't that easy. Let me tell you about the Syrians. The Assyrians, uh, <laughs> well, someone said this way, they, they were the Borg. They were the Borg of their generation. They were the Borg means resistance is futile, you will be assimilated. That's what the Borg of Star Trek said, right? Resistance is futile. Well, that was these guys. Listen, if the Assyrians came up to your city, you knew that if they were outside, they said, can we come in? And uh, you knew if you let them in, what they were going to do, they were going to rape your women, and they were going to cut off your hands. Well, I'm thinking, well, they're not coming in here then. Well, if you said no to them, they'd come in anyway, and they'd rape your women, cut off your hands. Then they would cut off your heads, and they would pile those heads up outside the city in a pyramid. They'd pile them up in a pyramid, and then, and then, they would flay you alive before they even did that, and use the skin for wallpaper. Now, if they'd done that to your grandpappy, they'd done that to your daddy, if they'd done that to your sister, you can't just say, hey, get over it. Unless you're God. That's the second thing. God said, I want you to go to these thugs, these Borg people. I want you to go to the Syrians, and I want you to preach me to them. And he disobeyed. 
So the first factor here is the fear and the hatred of the Assyrians. The second factor in this perfect storm of Jonah is he disobeyed. The third factor, I think, is simply this. God trusted, had to be able to trust, had to be able to trust the prophets. That's how Israel would know, about, and everyone else around them would know the message of God was that God trusted the prophets and he gave them this message. Jonah was a prophet. God counted on the prophets. God was disappointed. Whoa, three things. We hate and fear the Assyrians. We disobey him and God is disappointed and that equaled a storm and what a storm it was. So here comes a storm. You can read all about it in Jonah 1. So, there's something about our lives that can do the same thing. I'm just going to tell you, storms come up and sometimes it happens because it's our fault. Or sometimes it's a mixture of our fault and just stuff happens. But storms can come. And sometimes you can get a storm and it's not your fault at all. But the storm comes anyway. So I'm going to tell you, I don't know how the storm in your life or the storm that is coming. Can I make a prediction here? You can call me a prophet if you'd like. A storm's coming. Now, it may come sooner than later. I want to say the storm comes for all of us. It might be a personal storm. It might be a business storm. It might be a national storm. It might be a church storm. But storms come for all of us. God didn't say, hey, I'm the God that eradicates storms. This is the God that says, I'll be with you in the storm. And praise be to God, that's the kind of Jesus we serve. Now, having said that, read the psalmist's description of the storm he's thinking about. Verse 26. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wits' end. You ever been there? Now, as with this and other predicaments in the Psalms, this is the antidote to the storm. You can find that in verse 28 to 30. Then they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. So every, every Sunday morning, Mary and I are headed to church, and we read the passage of the day. And she teaches me. That's not what's supposed to happen. That's inevitably what happens. I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be the expert on this passage. I just studied it. I'm ready to deliver a sermon on it. And she goes, it's interesting. Uh, I say, well, this is what I found interesting. And then she always trumps me. Well, this is what I found interesting. <laughs> and she always says, she, she said this. He got him to their desired haven. To their desired haven. Now you think, well, that must have been Tahiti. That must be nice, some location in, in the Caribbean. No, I'm going to tell you, this is what I said to Mary. We had a little discussion. We always had discussions. We disciple each other on the way to church. And I say, you know what I think the desired haven was? She goes, what? And I says, any place that had ground that wasn't moving beneath their feet. Their desired haven was simply safety, refuge, something solid beneath our feet, something where the wind isn't tearing us apart, where the water is not drowning us. That's the desired haven. Listen, when you're out there in a storm, you're not thinking Tahiti. You're not thinking about some cushy place in the Caribbean. You're thinking, I'd just like to walk in safety. Now, having said that, 
There are examples over and over and over again in Scripture about people crying out. Elijah cried out, and God revived the dead child. Jehoshaphat cried out, and God delivered him from death. Hezekiah cried out, and God gave him victory. Jesus' disciples cried out to him in a storm. Jesus calmed the sea. Blind Bartimaeus said, hey, help. Bartimaeus had his sight restored. I'm telling you, I believe in this crying out program, and we all ought to believe it because we've all done it. Remember that whole thing of we remember he has not failed us yet. Let's look back. If you remember, the Hebrew understanding of time was simply this. You backed into the future. You didn't know what was coming, so the future's out there. The past is here. You backed into the future, which meant what? The only thing you can see is what has happened. So he's never failed me yet. All the things I understand in my past, about my nation, about my family, about my people, he's never, I might have failed him, but he has never failed me. So you back into your future. You don't know what's coming. And I always say this, as long as I'm backing into something, I want to put my hand in the hand of the one that can see the future. I can say, Matt, I'd stop right now and uh, go left a few steps, because if you don't, you're going off a cliff. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think I'll do that. And so, backing into the future, I can say, hey, when I've cried out to him, and I've cried out to him in such a way that he can respect that cry, then I'll be taken care of. So there are three characteristics to a biblical cry. Characteristic number one is this. Genuine humility and unconditional surrender. We talk about the guy out of the prison. And uh, remember the day we were out there and uh, we were talking about the thing we always talked about every week. And at the, you know, Jesus had come in, he can change your life, he wants to change that. Let him change your life. By grace, he can save you to the uttermost. And every week, it's just easy as it can be. Every week, it's just so easy. Guys, I do want my life changed. I want my life changed. And so 30 people will come to know the Lord just like that, like all the time. This time, I said, you know, instead of making it easy, I want to know how many of you want to come down to the floor with me and put your nose on this filthy floor, your belt buckle, your kneecaps on this filthy floor, and let's cry out to God that way today. So we did it. One of the guys later said, you know something? I was changed in that moment. I said, tell me what it was. What was it that changed your life at that moment? He said this. I, I thought it was, hey, was it that cool thing I said about let's go down to the ground? <laughs> was it that great altar call idea I had about putting your nose on the filthy floor? He said, no. He says, during your prayer, you said something. I said, what? what? It was a very unspectacular prayer, I can promise you. He said, you said something about surrender. I never heard it put that way before. I wave the white flag to Jesus and say, you know, I've tried to do some things and they didn't work. I tried to save myself and they didn't work. I tried to get myself out of the storm. It did not work. Therefore, I come to you. I'm at the end of myself. I need a resource beyond me. I need you. You, totally you, all you, none of me. Every time I try, I botch it up. There's a word. I love this word. One of my favorite New Testament words is tokos. And it's, it's blessed are the tokos in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
there's a couple of, of different words for poor in Scripture in the New Testament Greek. One is penes, which means pretty poor. But tokos means absolutely emptied, absolutely poor, absolutely destitute. I've got to have God. I'm emptied of myself so I can be full of Him. Blessed are the tokos of God who are here this morning that said, you know, I'm done with me. I've crucified myself. I have been crucified in Jesus. He has crucified me, and I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. So this genuine humility, this unconditional surrender, a cry represents total and this unconditionality. You've come to the end of yourself. You need a resource beyond you. That's the first characteristic of a biblical Christ. Anybody here today that's waving the white flag even now in your heart? The second thing is this, a feeling of helplessness and of desperation. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? And your cry to God is, I can do nothing. I have to have you. There is a desperation. I've gone through my Gospels, and I've done it over and over again. I showed my guys in my discipleship group, this is what I do in my Bible. I, uh, I put the word D right in front of the word M. This paragraph is D, this paragraph is M. And that is desperation and then miracle. Some lady at a conference said that. I wrote it down as fast as I could. So I'm going to go test that in Scripture. And sure enough, over and over again, before there's a miracle, there's a sense of desperation. Anybody here today desperate enough to say, Lord, I have to have you, or I'm done for. I'm desperate for you. Hannah, in 2012, wrote me on Facebook. Some of you know this, but I thought in celebration of David's victory this week, God threw David this week, and say, baby, I would uh, pull this out. Hannah said, hi. I messaged your website a few minutes ago, but I just wanted to say thank you for hearing me out and talking with me six years ago at the Jackson, Mississippi Abortion Clinic. Back then, I was a scared Christian girl, thought abortion was the only way to save my life. I had the full examination, even paid the 100 bucks to have the procedure done in one week. And they would have done it. But they couldn't locate the baby in the ultrasound, so they told me, come back when it's bigger in a week. I'm a little bored at that. When I left the building, you talked with me and pointed out a blue bracelet on my wrist. Sure enough, I was just trying to think, what can I say to this girl and I know she had a blue bracelet, and it said on there, Jehovah Jireh. I said, do you know what Jehovah Jireh means? She says, I didn't. But you told me that it meant God will provide. Amen. You told me that he'll provide a way for this baby to live if I will trust him and not listen to fear. I was so scared. I feared what my parents and my church family would think of me. She hadn't told them yet. I just want you to know that I'm a mother to a very loving and wonderful six-year-old boy named Isaac. Just finished kindergarten, loves everything, superhero. He hates vegetables and loves chocolate chip cookies. At night, he loves to give me the biggest hugs, and in the morning, he's pure sunshine. Top it off, God made it possible for me to finish college in 2008 and led me to a very godly man who I'm now married to. He loves Isaac as if he were his own. He's in the third year of medical school, will graduate in 2014. 
six years ago. I didn't believe any of this was possible, but you did. You helped me to choose life and trust in God over fear and death. I just want to say thank you for standing at the clinic while I faced what seemed to be an impossible decision. I had tried to find you once before to tell you this, but I couldn't. But Isaac is my heart. He's pure. He's loving. He's the best part. The best part of his life is that he loves Jesus. Here's some pictures, and I, I got the pictures. I look at them from time to time. But the second thing about a cry to God is you are desperate enough to cry out to him and believe that he's listening. The third thing is this. You have faith in the power of God to deal with that storm. Or maybe even better, to deal with you in the storm. Your cry to God acknowledges God's ability to do what no one else can do. The disciples said, Lord, save us or we perish. God saved them. So three questions a day. Are you humble enough for God to rescue you in the storm? Are you humble enough? Empty enough? Tokos enough? Are you helpless and desperate enough? And Do you believe that this God can deal with you and can deal with the storm? Saw this last night. I thought so much of this. I said, sweetheart, stop what you're doing. Listen to this. And I read it to her. Professor of writing from the University of Akron. She wrote this. You're going to have to hang with me just a minute, but you're going to love this. She says, I was curled up in a fetal position on a filthy carpet in a cluttered apartment. I'm in horrible withdrawal from a drug addiction. But I have a little piece of paper. It's dilapidated because I've been folding it up and unfolding it. But still, I could see the phone number that was on it. I'm in a state of bald terror. My husband is out and trying to get a hold of some drugs that we thought we needed. But right behind me, sleeping in the bedroom, is my baby boy. I wasn't going to get mother of the year. In fact, at age 29, I was failing at a lot of things. So I decided I got to get clean. I was soon going to lose the most precious thing I'd ever had in my life. That baby boy, I got to get clean. I was so desperate at that moment that I wanted to make use of that phone number. It was something my mom gave to say, listen, here's a Christian counselor. Maybe sometime you could call this person. So I unfolded the dilapidated piece of paper at 2 in the morning. I punched in the numbers. I heard a man say, hello. And I said, hi, I got this number from my mother. Um, Do you think maybe you could talk to me? And he said, yes. Yes, of course. What's going on? I told him I was scared that my marriage had gotten pretty bad. Before long, I was telling all kinds of other things, all kinds of other truths, like I might have a drug problem. And this man just sat with me and listened and had such a kindness, had such a gentleness. He kept saying, tell me more. Oh, that must have hurt very much. And he stayed up with me the whole night. Just being there until the sun rose. When the sun started to rise, I was feeling calm. The raw panic had passed. I was feeling okay. I was very grateful to him. 
And so I said, I really appreciate you and what you've done for me tonight. Can I ask, how long have you been a Christian counselor? There was a long, long pause. And he said, Auburn, please don't hang up. I'm so afraid to tell you this. There's another pause. You got the wrong number. I'm not a therapist, but I've really enjoyed talking with you. So she says, I didn't hang up on him, but I never got his name. And I never spoke to him again. But the next day, I felt like I was shining. I discovered that there was this completely random love in the universe, that it could be unconditional, and that some of it was for me. And it also became possible that as a teetotaling single parent to raise up that precious baby boy into a magnificent young scholar and athlete, who, by the way, graduated from Princeton in 2013 with honors. And this is what Auburn Sandstrom said. In the deepest, blackest night of despair, if you can get just one pinhole of light, all of grace rushes in. Will you please stand? When you cry out, God changes things. Do you believe that? Surely read it. He changes rivers into a wilderness, springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste, a wilderness into a pool of water, a dry land into springs of water that you might be fruitful. Anybody here willing to embrace that today? So are you in a storm today? Cry out. Not in a storm today? You will be. Storms come. Just remember. Cry out. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we cry. Amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you.